Thank you so much, Robbie. I appreciate y'all being here. I am so excited about what God is doing in and through us and through the people of God. And I can't wait to see um, how the Lord is going to express Himself today in and through the corporate worship. I'm really excited about our time. The pinnacle of worship that we have is at the very end where we come together and and we just kind of get on our face in front of the Lord and just let Him do His thing. And so I'm just in awe of people that go hard after the Lord. I'm in awe when God does something immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. I think that, and, and I know that we're all in spiritual battles, and I want you to see this today. I want you to like hone in on this today. I want you to lock in on something today, that we're all in spiritual battles. Now, I, I'm, I'm pretty excited because I praise the Lord what happened yesterday, how the Lord blessed our football team. I mean, when you lay the smack down, sometimes you just lay the smack down, and that's a good thing. But I think there's more to the picture. I think what happens is when you look at things, we, we look at things in, in silos and in categories. So we think, okay, you play this game now to the next week. But where the Lord moves, it's a story. It's a narrative. And so there's something going on. Like there's a reason that something happened yesterday at the game. Lord willing, because of what he wants to do next week. Okay, I'll say it again. What he did. Last week, or yesterday, he wants to do next week at the game. And so what happens is that story, there's a bigger picture we ever imagine. And, and listen, we are all under spiritual attack. It's becoming more and more pervasive and prevalent. And so I don't want you to think that I'm this pastor that's out there just going, this is what God is against. This is what God is against. No, I hope I'm reclaiming what God is for. But I put on my Facebook, and some of you saw it, and some of you have already seen this. But I felt like for those maybe who hadn't seen it, I just want to show it. I'm in awe of this one pastor in Germany who's just preaching the gospel and he's under fire for preaching the gospel. And some of you are going, well, I don't, I don't understand. See, here's what, you know, we're starting to see the pushback that's coming our way. And because Christians now are having to either stand for their faith or they don't have a, come on. All right, so let me just show you. Brandy, can you just, can you just show this video? Because I'm so excited. It's like I said, some of you have seen it. All the notes are on uh, Summit, uh, Charles, uh, excuse me, at uh, Facebook. But I want you to see how this guy is standing for the Lord. This is a pastor who knows there is a cost for speaking out boldly, especially in today's Germany, where standing on the Bible without compromise is viewed by many as bigoted, hateful, and even unchristian. Pastor Olaf Lotzel has been attacked in the media, investigated by the local government, and even condemned by fellow pastors. His crime? Refusing to bend a knee to political correctness. I'm only preaching the gospel in a clear way. This is my, my duty to do this preaching in this way for our Lord. In his sermons, Lotzel cuts no corners and soft pedals nothing. To some, he might sound mean when he attacks other religions. But Lotzel is standing against what he sees as a spirit of compromise that seems to have swallowed Germany and the German state church. In the process, he has angered the German establishment and a lot of other German pastors. Mix one very politically correct European nation with a pastor who refuses to compromise on the word of God, and you have the perfect storm. 
Lotzel says the battle in Germany today is over who God is. They said Allah and our God, the Christian God, Jesus Christ, is the same God. If you tell a Muslim, has your God a son? He would say, no. Our God has a son. His name is Jesus Christ. So they are not the same. If you speak out loud and clearly the truths of the Bible, that there's only one way to heaven, and this way is Jesus Christ. There's only one God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's no other God beside him. Then you have problem, not only today in Germany. Seventy German pastors gathered in Bremen this year to denounce Lotzel behind a banner calling for diversity. The public prosecutor investigated him for hate speech, then cleared him. And the Bremen parliament passed a resolution against him. It reportedly is the first time a German pastor has been condemned by a German parliament since World War II. But far from backing down, Lotzel says the real problem is that, in his estimation, most pastors in Germany's state church have not been born again. I think that over 80% from the pastors inside the national church in Germany are not reborn. And that's a great problem. And because of this, they make their own doctrine. The Bible is the word of God, is our law. Chapter by chapter, book by book, sentence by sentence, letter by letter. Lot I love that guy. I love him because he has no shame. And that's what's happening. Jonathan Edwards, a great congregationalist, which were the forerunners of Presbyterian, the second great awakening, talked about there's a lot of pastors that are unregenerate. The other pastors that were condemned in World War II, one of you might recognize the name, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I mean, here's a guy preaching nothing but the gospel and is getting slammed because he preaches the gospel. And don't think for a moment that you in this room, that are college age, if the Lord tarries and allows you to live, you will experience it. We might experience it before I die. Because it's coming. But I tell you what I do know is I'm not going to preach hate. And I'm not going to preach embarrassment. But I promise you this. I'm going to do my very best to never cower down and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ regardless of where I am and who I'm with. I, I am not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.16. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Don't stop preaching the gospel. Alvin Reed would sit there in my classes and even my seminars and say, hey, listen, the gospel is offensive. You don't have to be. It's offensive to say that, that the gospel says that somebody's in sin. That is offensive, but I don't have to be. My presentation can be sweet and loving, but I'll tell you this much, encountering a God is scary and can be shameful. But you and I in this room, and that's why I love you at Summit. That's why I love you, because let's just tell the truth. As hard as we went, I mean we as in us, went for the devil, we can go for Jesus. 
If we were the ones dancing on the tables and we were the ones going crazy and going wild, we can do that for the name of Jesus. And all our brother's doing is just sharing the gospel and is turning that place upside down, somebody in Acts. And so we want to be that type of people and we can't live in shame. And what hinders us from being that way, or let me just make it on myself, what hinders me from preaching the gospel is shame. Shame of my sin. People say, well, John, you, you can't proclaim that because as if to superimpose the righteousness of Jesus on myself. So shame is what hinders. Shame is what like corners us in. Us feeling shame, meaning what we did last night or what we watched, what we said or what we did or what we didn't do, all these things. Shame is what hinders us from keeping on to preach the gospel. But I'm going to tell you what, today, I want to do this. I, I pray that the Spirit of God would set us free from shame. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I bow and humbly come before you and worship you. We bow before the name of Jesus, who is the Messiah. There is no other God but the God of the Bible and who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the satisfying atonement of your wrath, to impute your right righteousness upon us and thereby we have been set free to enter in your presence by the spirit of God dwelling within us and now and forever one day in your presence bringing glory where there'll be no more pain or no more sorrow and you will wipe away every tear from our eyes so we worship you today pray that people would see you Lord that you would be high and lifted up you draw men unto you that I would step back God, that your spirit would move mightily. Please forgive us of our sins. Uh, cleanse our hands. Purify our hearts. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, mind to understand, heart to believe. What the spirit is saying to the churches. And if you don't do anything else, you've done more than enough. That would cause us to live at a grateful heart. We love you, Lord. We worship you today. And all God's people said what? Here's the point. The point is the gospel destroys shame. One point. That's it. The gospel destroys shame. Why can't that guy preach with all the hate stuff against him? And nobody charging the people that are hating him with hate crimes. Ain't nobody, and, hey, that's funny. People tell, tell me, John, you're a bigot. Bigot for what? Believing in Jesus? I mean, what's wrong with that? I, last time I checked, anybody who's truly born again made the world a better place. The last time I checked, the people who didn't love Jesus was kind of tearing the place up. But see, what I want to say is that the gospel destroys shame. How did he destroy shame? Because Jesus was shamed, the Lord showed me. Because Jesus was shamed, so we didn't have to. How is the shame? Gospel of Luke. You can turn there on your phones, whatever else. That's not our primary passage, but it is our setup passage. The gospel of Luke. Let's look how Jesus was shamed so that we can in turn realize that he took all the shame. Luke chapter 24 I'm sorry, Luke chapter 23, I apologize, Brandy. Luke 23, 32 through 39. I'm sorry, I said Luke 24, it's Luke 23, 32 through 39. Here we go. Here's where we see Jesus taking some shame. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him, that is Jesus, to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, or Golgotha, 
They crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his what? Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. In other words, no shame on them, Lord. Put it all on me, Jesus cries out. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching. Sometimes people don't even have to say a word and they can give you some shame, huh? Come on. Yeah, anybody, had, anybody roll your eyes at you? Well, let, let, go ahead and roll your eyes at your parents. If you roll them at my parents, you're picking up your eyes somewhere. Some people can just do something when watching, man. You can see it. Some people wear their expressions on their face, John Davis. And the rulers even sneered at him. Shame. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. Shame after shame after shame. Let's keep reading. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if... If you are the king of Jesus, and I love, I love how God destroys the if. Satan always says, if you can win, if you can date that person, if you can get that, if you can do well. Satan always says if, and God always says do. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. Do you understand the shame and the mockery? At his death, people were mocking him. At his death, people were making fun of him. That's what the sign was meant to be. There's your king. Your king is suffering the most humiliating death under Roman law, which is crucifixion. It is suffering. It is embarrassment. You're an embarrassment. You're an embarrassment. You're an embarrassment. Some of you have been told you're an embarrassment to your family. Some of you are afraid to go home and you're embarrassment of your grade. Some of you are embarrassed because of uh, uh, you as a grandparent because you didn't do what your grandchildren want you to do. Some of you are embarrassed by what we did last night. Some of us are embarrassed by our attitudes or our actions or our thoughts. Some of us are embarrassed. But I want you to know today that our shame because of our sin and guilt has been put on Jesus at the cross. And we have been set free. Well, one person. Good. All right, so. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Jesus can't even get him respect from the guys he's dying with. He can't even get respect from the people that are being mocked and hung with him. He can't even get respect from the lowest of the low in that society that's dying right beside him. Even the man condemned to hell is making fun of Jesus. Satan is throwing everything in his arsenal from pain and suffering and tears and sorrow and humiliation and emotional degradation. He's throwing everything that he has at Jesus and Jesus comes with forgiveness. Come on, somebody. The Lord is really good. He was spit. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was whipped. Don't tell me about your loss. Tell me about your resurrection. Don't tell me about your pain. Tell me about your victory. 
Don't tell me about it. Listen, I'm telling you, God is doing something in the spiritual. He's doing something in the spiritual so powerful that when he speaks to us in the spiritual, we do something in the physical. What you don't understand is what I'm trying to say is that the world's champion is by how much money they have, by how big their weight room is, or by how nice their field is, or by how large their stadium is, or by how wealthy their head coach is. But God says, I'm going to take some broke people who just believe in me. Come on. God's going to take just some broke people who believe in me and I will show them who the real champion is. Just show up next Saturday night. Just kidding. Isaiah 52. Let's turn there. Isaiah 52. You think it's burning in me today? I promise you it's not gas. It's a joke. You can get visual. It's, it's summit. We can laugh. Have some fun, people. Eat a donut. Your problem is you're trying to protein out. That's your problem. Remember, there's no more sacrifices. We can eat bread. All right, here we go. Trying to, trying to set y'all free today, or the Lord set you free. Isaiah 52, 14. Isaiah 52, 14. Just to kind of open up your Bible, almost a little past middle. Isaiah 52, 14. We have got to stand up. The Lord is asking us to stand up. We've got to get stronger. We've got to get stronger. The world is pushing back harder. And God, all God asks us to do, He's not even asked us to swing. He's just asking us to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Just stand. Just stand and see. Just stand. Elisha says to his servant Gehazi, Lord, open up his eyes. And his eyes were open as he saw the army around him. He looked and saw God's army on the hills. My eyes look into the hills from, come on, whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. You have no shame on you, so stop acting like it. You don't know how I grew up, John. I grew up like this. My parents are jacked up. I grew up. Listen, there is no shame. John, you don't know what was happening to me. I'm going to tell you something. People are going to burn in hell what they did when they molested you. They're going to burn. And if, if they don't surrender by their limited free will to the glory of God, where is your God in the blessed station? It's an easy answer, people, biblically. He is storing up wrath of almighty fire where those people will beg that rocks will smash their brains because they can't face the king of kings. That's what's coming to your molester. Read Revelation. God is storing up wrath where is my god when christians are beheaded storing up wrath the beheaded cry out in heaven how long how long do you avenge our blood here's a white robe i'm gonna i'm gonna show you as brilliant and beautiful and in my presence just hold on a little bit because big daddy's gonna lay the smack down that's john's version They just didn't publish it. I don't know why. Isaiah 52, 14. Just as there were many who were appalled at him. Shame. Jesus, appalled. When people are appalled at us because of our stance in the gospel, who cares? Well, John, that's not very loving. No, 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 no. What I mean by that is I don't mean that we don't love them. What I do mean is that we love Jesus more. 
We just love Jesus more. I love my family. I love you, which are my family. I love the people in Charleston. I love the people on this campus. But I'll tell you this, somebody. I'll promise you this, that the eyes of Jesus mean more to me than the pleasures of the eyes of man. That's the Lord that I'm going to serve. And that means if they're going to come after me for saying that Allah is not the same as the God of the Bible, then so be it because I want to tell you somebody, He ain't. And we got too many preachers today worried about how we're going to, how big the church is going to be instead of worried about how big Jesus is going to. Mm, I ain't even going to say it. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so defigured beyond that of him, any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. That's how bad they beat Jesus. They beat him unrecognizable. That's shame, family. He was beaten worse than any of us in this room. He was beaten so bad that nobody could recognize him except the face of death. That was all that was left for our beautiful and wonderful Jesus. Verse uh, 4 of chapter 53. Go to verse 4. This is the shame that Jesus had so we don't have to. The gospel is good news because the shame that we deserve because of our sins has been put on Jesus and now and forever there is no shame and no hindrance and we can be in his presence now via the Holy Spirit and one day fully in his presence forever and ever with no shame and no sorrow. Verse 4. Surely he took up our what, saints? Good. And he bore our what? Yet we consider him punished by God. Listen, it wasn't the Roman soldiers who were issuing the sentence. They were tools in the Father's hand who were punishing Jesus for us. For the wages of sin is death. And Jesus took it. So death becomes a valley not a dead-end cave. Oh, you didn't hear me. Yea, though I walk through the what? Of the shadow of death. I am going through the valley. It is not a cave where there's a dead end. But He was pierced for our transgressions. Verse 5. He was crushed for our iniquities he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by let me go a little king jimmy on you that's king james for y'all don't know what i'm talking about and by his what we are healed Though sorrow, though sorrow may come in the night, joy comes in the morning. Why? 
because though there are blows on earth, there is victory in heaven. And by the way, the wounds that brought us humiliation on earth will bring praise and glory to honor to the Father in heaven. There is a lamb as if slain in heaven. Just read some revelation. Maybe we should do a series on it so we could just go ahead and get wild. Earth. Verse 6, we all, John, that's you, like sheep have gone astray, fall of sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. I don't need you, Lord. I'm going this way. And here's the problem with this way. This way leads to shame. And this way leads to the presence of Jesus. Narrow is the way wide is the path to destruction there's a lot of people walking that way and we need some people who are going to be unashamed and say i can be unashamed so when people try to throw those fiery darts those fiery flames of the evil those fiery arrows of the evil one at me and say john you can't preach the gospel because look what you just said what they don't realize is is that i can preach the gospel not because they gave me permission but god, I, I ain't got time to go there but because god did we all like sheep have gone astray each of us has turned his own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I don't want to get too technical, but I just want to tell you a little bit of Hebrew. I remember taking an exam in Hebrew, and we had the first three chapters of Genesis, and, and he just picked anything he wanted, and we not only had to translate it, but we had to parse every verb, decline every noun. I don't want to even tell you all these case tenses in Hebrew, but let me just say this. That word laid, that word laid, uh, that word laid is very important on him because it is the hifil perfect stem, which means nothing to you, but it means everything to me because what it means is, is that Jesus, the Messiah in this passage, was not just part of the action, but he was part of the complete action. In other words, what God started in punishment, he ended in punishment, which means there's no more punishment left for You know what the word laid means? Your version might have fall. It means this. God is so good in his brilliance why he chose the Hebrew language. It means this. The word laid or fall is laid on him, the iniquity of us all. The word laid means violence. Uh, okay, let me just tell you the picture. In other words, it was a violent, violent death. It violent, but it also is a word. It has two opposite ends. Come on, this is beautiful. You should be writing this stuff down and be praying through this next time you feel like you can't pray and next time you feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Let me just give you a little hope. If the word laid on him, when God laid all our iniquity on him, and I'm not talking about sin, sin in Greek, harmatia, shoot the arrow, miss the bullseye, to miss the mark. Every one of us miss. Every one of us miss even when we're trying. And then it's not, just a, it's not just sin, it's also trespass. Trespass says, don't 
go over here and don't enter my property. I don't care what you say, property owner. I'm going to go on your property. I'm going to jump in your swimming pool, even though you said no trespassing, which means I know I shouldn't do it, but I'm going to do it. But the Bible takes it a step further. He didn't say he laid the sin on him. He didn't say he laid the trespass on him. He said he laid the iniquity on him, which means I don't just trespass and know that I'm doing wrong. I like it, and I stay in it, and I don't care what anybody else does. Thinks. That's called wickedness. That's called iniquity. And God took all that junk and put it on Jesus. And it was violent. But the word laid doesn't just mean violent. It also means to make intercession. It's a shame you haven't been taught that. In Hebrew, it means intercession. The violence that Jesus was receiving, he was so powerful in the God-man that he was on the inside, he was making intercession on the inside while he was receiving violence on the outside. That's what that means. That's the whole purpose of it. So why can we walk in freedom? The gospel destroys shame because every bit of shame that you will ever experience, you're not big enough, you're not fast enough, you're not this, you're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough, whatever shame anybody wants to throw at you, let me tell you something, Jesus has already redeemed that. And I got what you're saying. I know you don't like the way you look. I don't know, I know you don't like the financial status you're in. I know you don't like your, where your position in life, but here's what I want you to know. It's not what you don't like that matters. It's what Jesus likes that matters. And when you fall in the love of Jesus, then you realize that where you are doesn't find who you are. Oh, I ain't got no time. I'm going to go over here and get some water. I'm just saying I ain't got no time. Y'all, y'all, I don't even know if y'all are awake today. I'm up here busting a sweat. My, my, my right guard doesn't take a left turn. Y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. I mean, Caleb, how many miles did you run this morning? Eight. Freak. I love you. You're like a genetic gift. He usually runs 11. He's a stud. All right, so I'm back on it. Can y'all tell I'm like sweating today? Am I getting on? Yeah, that's why I love you, Coastal. All right, here we go. So what is this idea? What does this mean that he's laid on this? So we have freedom. So what, let's, look at, let's look at some what is shame. Come on, let's go, let's go to Genesis, people. Let's just go on back. Let's go way back. Tell your neighbor, way back. Oh, well, we got two people that grew up Pentecostal. It was like, way back, he going crazy. They're like, my church at home, just talk to one another. Yes, we're going to talk. I'm going to try and keep you all awake. All right, look, I'm going to get real deep. John Selhammer is one of my heroes. John Selhammer was a professor in Southeastern. He's going to be with the Lord. And John Selhammer, if you read anything, Peter Link uses him all the time here, our Hebrew professor. But it ain't Peter that you, it is it, it, John Selhammer. That, man's, that man is brilliant. I'm going to tell you about John Selhammer. John Selhammer had a son, and his son was probably, I don't know, when I was in seminary, probably in his late 20s. He looked about 18, but in his late 20s. And I would watch this guy in worship, and you'd sit on the, he's up in the front. You know, I'm sitting in the middle, and we'd have worship. And, and so he's just in the front. Man, he's just going hard for the Lord. And I'm like, Lord, I'm just, I'm embarrassed because that guy is putting me to shame in his freedom of worship for you. He is intense. He's by himself. I see this guy in chapel by himself every time. And he is just singing to the Lord. And he is just praising the Lord. And I'm looking at this guy and I'm going, he is a stud. And then all of a sudden he turned around. He turned around one day. 
And I said, I know who that guy is. He's the guy that stocks the shelves in the Lifeway bookstore, and he has Down syndrome. And he worshiped harder than anybody I'd seen by himself because then nobody going to hang out with him and talk to him, which is shame. But no, nobody. And he would just give it all. And that was Selhammer's son. Selhammer was proud of his son. I mean, just proud of him. This was a great man of God. And I remember looking at some of Selhammer's notes on this because when you read scripture and you read this stuff as a narrative, I understand there's certain genres. And I'm not trying to get too technical. And I understand that some are didactic in their teaching. And I understand that some of them are wisdom and poetic nature. And I understand all that stuff. But let me say, at the end of all the stuff that man tries to put in categories, it's still the living, breathing word of Genesis 2.25. Adam and his wife. We're both what? Naked. Naked. Now, John, you better keep it Disney. I got my child in here. Naked, people. Nudity. Nude. A bunch of naked people. It was a nude Eden. Not a nude beach, but a nude Eden. Naked. Just sounds fun. Naked. Some of you say, I want to get naked. You're single in due time, my friend, in due time. (laughs) Some of you on your way. LGN, baby. LGN diet. Look good naked. I know what you're on. Sorry, I just thought of certain people that got engaged recently. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Don't judge me. I'm just being truthful. I just want y'all to know secretly behind my back all the elders are, t- are, are texting each other. All right, this is John's last Sunday. I just want y'all to know if you only saw the text that I get after worship, I can't believe you said that. Um, I mean, I'm ignorance on fire. Adam and Eve's wife were both naked and felt no shame. This is what's interesting. The word naked there implies innocence, right? It's, 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 a, it's a Hebrew word. It's very interesting, this Hebrew word. It's aram, A-R-O-M, A-R-O-M. Say aram. Okay, good, you just said a Hebrew word. That means naked, they felt no shame. Now the serpent was more crafty. Say crafty. So the word for naked is aram, but the word for crafty is aram. Very close on purpose. Very close. Because what happens, it's almost a play on words here in Hebrew. It's almost the idea of this, that something is getting ready to happen here. Something's getting ready to go into. That this naked is this, this, all of a sudden, this this serpent who was crafty, uh, more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made, he said to the woman, did you really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, may, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And of course, look at the way man adds to the rules and misinterprets the word of God if you read Genesis 2. And you must not touch it or you will die. And so she's twisting it a little bit. Then look what verse 4. Then here's the craftiness of Satan. You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will open and you will be what, saints? Knowing good and evil. Now, here's what I want you to know. So what is shame? Here's what shame is. Shame brings lies. If you're looking for what shame is, I'm going to give you a little bit of it. Number one, shame 
brings lies. Here's the lie. The lie is that well, you and I will be like God. But here's the problem with the lie. In Genesis 1.26, what they didn't realize is when they ate the fruit, they were already like God because they were made in His. Come on. Lie. John Selhammer even talks about it. I mean, they were already made in His image. They wanted to be like God when they were already like God. Some of you want to be like somebody. Somebody famous or athletic or somebody famous because they got along. But what you, what you don't realize is that God has made you even better than that. Because here's what's going to happen. When I officiate funerals of people that are loaded and are mean, ain't nobody there. But when I officiate funerals of people poor and show the presence of Jesus, there's a lot of people there. And I just want you to know, somebody in this room, it's better that you have a lot of people at your funeral than nobody at your funeral. You can die with your money. Or you can die releasing the presence of the Lord. They were already like Him. It was a lie. All they gained, he said, was their knowledge of their own nakedness. No longer were they like God because sin had entered. Now they were shamed. And all they had now, instead of being like God, instead of being connected with God, now they were different from God because now sin stood in the gap. God wants to get to me, but he can't get to me because his wrath is on me because of my sin. And I can't get to God because of my sin. But Jesus took the obstacles together, as Piper would say, and destroyed it at the cross. See, the wisdom of the enemy, the wisdom of Satan, what does he do? He shows us differences, lies, and rejection, and separation, and death. But the Bible says wisdom from above is pure. So what do you want? Which wisdom do you want? Do you want to, you want to listen to the lies? Do you want to have, have the wisdom of Satan? Or do you want to have the wisdom of God? Because the wisdom of the world is the wisdom of Satan. It's get ahead. I'm going to get mine. Whoever gets in my way, I'm going to eradicate. It's built on pride. It's built on them being better than anybody else and stomping on whoever they need to because i got to take care of me and my family. The last time I checked, when God's got you, you can take care of others. So that's number one. Number two, shame brings fear. Shame brings fear. Let's keep reading there. Verse six, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then, then, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord. Come on, somebody. I love when God comes with a sound. See, when you realize you're in sin, you're fearful of God. The reason why you're fearful of God, because even the sound of God sets you scared. Just ask the Israelites. See, it's a narrative, right? As Selhammer teaches. Like Peter Link tries to teach, but he's just teaching Selhammer. It's, it's a narrative. What he's saying there is this, is that even when the Israelites with the mountain of God and heard the voice of God, they were afraid. The sound of God brought fear in people. Oh, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a shout. There's going to be a trumpet blast. There's going to be a sound. This sound that was in Eden was a sweet, 
rejoicing sound. To us who are saved, it is wonderful to hear the sound. But to those who are not saved, it is going to bring them scare and fear and wanting death and separation from the Lord. There is a sound that brings fear. And it is not boo, people. It is not boo. It's, I'm back. And for those in this room, we say, right near Revelation, last chapter, we say Maranatha, don't we? Which means come quickly. See, so when you don't want Jesus to come back quickly, the reason why you don't want him to come back quickly is either one, you're in sin, or you're too much with your sin as well. You're in love with the world. I got I got children I got to raise. I got this person I want to date. I'm in high school. I'm having a blast. I'm in college. I'm doing this. Listen, I want to tell you something. As much as a blast that you can have here, it's even sweeter there. So what it does, it brings fear. It brings fear. They had all the good they needed, right? Everything that God says when he created in Genesis chapter 1, he said he created and it was what? Good. But see, the lie was it wasn't good enough. I'm in my marriage. When I get my flesh, Lynette, you ain't good enough. At my job, I start thinking it's about me. I'm not good enough. When I'm around other people, come on, somebody. I can't seem like I'm not good enough. Or I don't look like I'm not good enough. Or I'm not, I'm not smart enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not this enough. Lie, 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 lie. Shame, shame, shame. And all it does is produce fear. We got to release that stuff because that's not of the Lord. If we were ever good enough, we'd have never needed Jesus. Everything the Lord made was good. He looked at man and said, it's very good. But man said it wasn't good enough. Oh, this is really good. Number three, shame brings continual brokenness. Shame brings continual brokenness. Robbie, how about play over me, man? How about get on them pads or something, man? You got to go. We got to get this thing. Ooh, ooh. Listen, shame brings continual brokenness. Let me just give you something good. Let me give you something good in here that, I mean, good Hebrew scholars talk about. I want you to think about something. How many times the word naked was used? Look at Genesis 2, 25. Abraham and his wife were both naked. Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. I want you to look at verse 10. And he answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. Verse 11, and he said, who told you that you were naked? The word naked was used over and over and over because it was reminding Adam and Eve of their guilt. When you and I live in shame, we are in continual we are living continual brokenness. We're always reminded of our defeats. We're always reminded of our sorrows. We're always reminded of all of our devastations. But to live in Christ is to overcome all that. Are you with me? That's what shame does. Shame always haunts us. It haunts you. Every marriage I've been in is broke. Every marriage I've been in, every time I try this job, every time I try this class, every time I try to retake this lab, every time I try to do this, every time I try to reach out to my grandchild, all it reminds you of is brokenness. But let me tell you something. There is one who can put all the pieces back together. And it ain't Humpty Dumpty's king. You know what happens when you're naked? I want you to, look, I'm, old, I'm just going to go there. So y'all better cover your ears if you're young. All right, I'm just telling you, here it comes. Bring the noise, John. That's 80s. Y'all don't, get right, get a disco ball at your house. 70s is good. 
Here's what I mean. Now, you young, if y'all start sinning on me, don't you be bl- blaming my pastor made me sin. Think about naked people. I'm putting that back on you. Here's the thing, Robbie. Is that when we got clothes on, we still look alike. I'm going to be like all those girls in those photos. What I mean by that is we still have a head. We still have some hair. Um, We have, you know, we have a nose. We have eyes. We have this. But they covered up the part of their body. That from the flesh perspective could make them one. Now, y'all didn't get it. I'll go over here. What sin does is it covers up the one thing that can make us one. So we look at, you're, you're not the same color I am. Or you're not the same culture I'm from. Or you're not the same social status I'm from. Or, oh, you got a stutter. Or you got this. Or you got, so what happens, sin, we causes us to cover up what could make us one. Think about it. That's what sin does. It, it, it constantly reminds us of our nakedness. Shame reminds us of our nakedness. It reminds us of the very thing that says, I can't connect with that person. I can't connect with that culture. I can't go be that mission. I'm, we're all missionary disciples. And we say, well, I can't do that. But God is saying yes. He's saying yes. In other words, even when, even when Adam would say, I'm naked, Lord, I'm naked. And God says, How do you, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from that fruit? His own words convicted him. And here's what I'm trying to say. Now I can say my sins and I'm not convicted because I got a saint, who, I got a Savior who saved me and made me a saint over that. That's what I'm trying to say. As I'm not convicted by my words anymore because my words have been nailed to the cross. And so the fourth thing is this, that shame brings, or fifth thing, excuse me, shame brings struggle, fourth thing, shame brings uh, blame. Shame brings blame. Verse 11, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Verse 12, the man said, the woman! Right? It's like my house. Why yell at one? I'm yelling at all my kids. And I don't know who did it, but somebody did it. Look, let me set you free. You can ask J.D. and everybody else in here that knows me well. Will I verbally abuse people? You better believe it, but that ain't going to stop me from preaching. Is that a sin? Absolutely. Do I need to correct that? Absolutely. Do I need to correct my eating? Yep. Do I need to correct things I do? Yep. Do I need to correct my laziness? Yep. Do I need to correct my indifference to the Lord? Yep. Do I need to correct sometimes my apathy? Yep. Do I need to, is all that sin? Yep, 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 yep. But I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to let Satan tell me I can't when God already told me I could. No, I'm just going to tell you, and you've been told that you could. You have an open heaven. You have an open heaven when, when the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus as a dove. The heavens were open, so we're under the name of Christ, so we have a, well, anyway, you get the picture. See, I, I'm not, I, I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to live in the blame game. So what, what Adam did is he started blaming. 
What Eve started to do, she started blaming. What shame does is it causes you to blame. Shame is this. Well, if I just hadn't come from this, shame always allows me to be a victim, and Christ always allows me to be a victor, an overcomer, because nothing will separate me from the love of God. Not even the, the meanness possessed people in this world Not even people say, well, I just don't want to follow Christians because I'm Christ because look at the Christians. Haven't they read the scripture? Nope, because what the scripture says is that there are wolves in sheeps. Shame brings blame. Mm. Come on, y'all, y'all don't get, look, Genesis 2.18. Let me just give you something good. See how it makes it know. Woo, this is good. Listen, let me tell you what, what blame does. Look, this, this is what it does. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. And we're going to repent today, people. We're going to do some repentance. Old timey preacher. Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it is not what? I didn't hear you. It is not what? For man to be what? So the very good gift that God had brought to the man, he was now rejecting. That's good, people. Let me break it down for you. I don't like the talents you gave me, Lord. The very good gift that God has given you, you reject it because you want to be somebody famous. Rejecting the gift of the Lord because you're not like somebody you want to be like. All I can say is this. The Bible says the exact opposite. The world says the bigger and stronger and faster and more financially and better looking and whatever else, the bigger you are in the world, the bigger the world sees you. But here's what God says. The smaller you are in in my eyes, the weaker you are in my eyes, my grace becomes more than enough. So the smaller you are in the world's eyes, the bigger they see me. And I know it's hard on our egos. And I know it's hard on our pride. I know it's hard to say that this, I'm going to live in this weakness and I'm just going to accept this in the sense that I'm going to go forward and move in it and be the very best that I can in it. It's hard to accept some of the limitations or even accept the giftings that God's given you. I'm going to tell you something. If God gave you the gift of music and you ain't playing, you in sin. Well, I just, it does nothing for me. The last time I checked, was it for you? Well, God gave me the gift of this. I just don't, it just doesn't fuel me. Well, I'm going to tell you what. Does it make God's presence known? Yep. Then you, that's what shame does. And the last thing is this, Robbie. Here's the land. Shame. Shame brings a struggle. Shame brings a struggle. Here we land this plane. Verse 13, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? My mom used to say that to me a lot. The woman said, or I said, my twin sister did it. Uh, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed you are above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust. I don't have time to go in Isaiah 65 verse 25, but you can write it down and you can look it up and you will see that that's basic. God is taking the shame that he brought on Adam and Eve and he's putting the shame back on the serpent and the serpent, Satan himself, Satan, is now going to live in shame the rest of his eternal life. 
And then here's the struggle. Shame brings struggle. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And to the woman, he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. And I can say, amen, I've seen that. Um, Praise God, I didn't go through it. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. There's always going to be a struggle between man and woman. There's always going to be a struggle who's going to be the boss. And there's always going to be a struggle. And men, I want you to know, ladies in the room, men make fun of men behind their back because when they see the woman rule the household and the man is just like doing whatever, doing whatever the woman wants him to do, they say, man, that man ain't got no guts. And I'm going to tell you what it is. People, I'm going to tell you what it is in psycho world, psychology world. When they see a strong, domineering woman, and all, she's gonna, the only way she's ever going to make it in her relationship is she's got to have a man that she can tell what to do. And me and the same thing goes for us. If we just try to be domineering and try to have a wife that we can tell what to do, then we might as well not have a wife. We might as well just have a slave. Because the Bible says in Ephesians 5, to submit to one another is unto the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that the husband isn't the head, don't hear me, but I'm saying that the head sacrifices for the bride. There's always going to be a struggle. So what Satan wants you to do is he wants us to live in shame and struggle with each other. But it says clearly before the struggle with each other, there's a struggle that goes before that. And, and he's saying this question, your seed, Eve, your seed is going to crush the head of the serpent. And it's not meant to tell you who the seed is. That's why there's no name in here. It's meant for us to ask the question, who is the seed? Then as the narrative, as the story unfolds throughout Scripture, it answers the seed in the Messiah, and then the Messiah's name is Jesus so it's just meant for us to ask the question who is the seed and if you keep on reading which most people don't they understand the seed the seed is going to be called the Messiah and the Messiah is going to have a name and his name is going to be Jesus and he's going to be the very essence of God who took on the flesh of humanity and answered all our problems there in Galatians 3 13 let's land it here it is Galatians 3 13 And this is how Jesus crushes the head of the serpent as you saw in the Passion of the Christ when he stomps on the snake there in the prayer of the garden. That's the Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium, fancy theology. First evangelistic passage. Proto-first evangelium, evangelistic. 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming what, saints? For it is written, cursed, shameful, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And the very trees in Genesis 2 that brought them fruit, and the very tree in Genesis 3 that they sinned, and the very trees that they hid behind, hiding from God in Genesis 3, we're reminded in the Gospels that there's a tree that our Savior was sacrificed on so that no longer will there be any separation between us and God. Have we been living in shame? Will you come and kneel and say, God, I'll trust you. And the only way that I'm worthy is because you are. And I will do what you ask me to do. I will go where you ask me to go. 
I'll say what you want me to say, regardless of the pushback, and I'll take a stand. And it won't be about my team, and it won't be about my record, but it'll be about the name of Jesus and for his fame. Have you been living in any shame? You don't feel you're good enough? You don't feel your past is what it should have been? Feeling that distance from the Lord? You believe in lies? You're living in a struggle that you're not meant to fight, that you can't win? Here's a chance to just lay it up to Jesus. Here's all of it, Lord. Take it. Who knows, you might get a prophetic word. And if you're in this room, your sacrifices of good works will never satisfy the curse that you're under except for Jesus. Only He can take the curse that will condemn you to hell. Because right now, you're under the wrath of the Lord and you cannot understand His knowledge until His wrath is removed. But the good news is, is that it can be removed if you surrender to Jesus. And if you're serious, and you get up out of your seat, you come down, you say, God, I want to do it. And then you move into discipleship. You become a soldier the cross. Father, I don't know who's in shame. I don't know who, we maybe need to pray for some people that are in shame, but I'm just going to step back. God, please move. I laid my heart out for you today. Is anybody living in shame of struggle? Anybody living in a, a, a blame? They feel like they're being blamed or blaming themselves. Lord, is there continual brokenness in a family or a friend or even in their life? Is there fear, anything? This hindering, Lord, whatever it is there, is, there is a God who makes us fearless because of the gospel. There is no more shame. There is no more condemnation. There is no more sorrow. All the chains have been broken and you've allowed us to set free. Father, there are people today that need to come and pray and kneel for their team. Do they need to come and pray and kneel for their family? They don't need to come and pray and say, God, for my room, uh, my sweet mates, or for my grandchildren. And today, I am going to walk in the victory of Jesus and let them realize that though my past is behind me, there is a God who is for me and my past will not hold me. Lord, please set people free today. And if there's anyone in here, please, I beg you, Lord, if they do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Lord, they believe that they can satisfy the curse by their good works. They can satisfy those feelings of inadequacy by their good works. They can, and Lord, I just pray that you would remove the lie of Satan, that you remove the lie, and Lord, that you would heal them today and bring them into oneness, that you would heal every marriage of every struggle, that you would heal every friendship in this room that might be in struggle. Would you hear, heal the people in this room that are struggling right now with family that are not here, don't live in Charleston area or, or wherever they are, Lord, or, or uh, other people. Would you heal that struggle that the enemy wants to try to keep there and say, listen, though my, my father and though my mother may be living in that struggle and they do not want to surrender to Christ, I'm going to surrender and release the shame and the struggle back to the Lord, the only one who can cause the victory, and I'm going to walk in freedom regardless of their response. Lord, set people free today. That is my prayer. In the name of Jesus, I pray.